Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by our guest speaker be a blessing to your life and helping you to grow in your understanding in God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. So, Brian, it's great to have you guys with us. It really Appreciate is. It. Put them, give your hands together one more time for Brian and Misty. I'm Brian, as has been very... Uh, carefully and exhaustively <laughs> explained. Um, my wife, Misty, is right up here. She's going to come up in just a minute, but I wanted to start just by saying thank you for letting us come. Uh, we are uh, not originally from the East Coast. We're from the Midwest and uh, originally from Kansas, but we've, we've, we speak at churches all over the country. Uh, we have been in the nation of Wales for 12 years. Wales is in the United Kingdom. Uh, there are four countries in that country. Uh, there's Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland, and uh, we're going to share more about that. Missy's going to share about um, how we were called into missions, and uh, then I'm going to share about what God's been doing. But I just, I just want to say thank you for letting us come and see that there is a part of New Jersey that doesn't, that we don't think of like this doesn't, we don't think of this like New Jersey, you know. In fact, some of our friends, we have, we we have some other friends in, in New Jersey who. Where are you going on Sunday? Oh, we're going down, down south. And they're like, oh, south is so much different than the rest. And they are, they're really going into detail about how it is. They're like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, more pickup trucks and deer stands and things like that. And I'm like, that kind of sounds like home. I think we'll get along famously. So uh, I want to say thank you for letting us come. And uh, I'm going to invite my wife, Misty, to come up and, um, and share a little bit about how we got called into ministry. Because you don't know us. Uh, but we have stories to share just like I, if we had time, everyone could probably get up and share stories how God moved, how God called. Um, but we think it's important that you hear how God has moved in our hearts because God might be moving in some of your hearts to go and do something radical, like maybe move to another country or maybe just go across the street and meet someone new, whatever it is that God's speaking to you. So thank you for letting us come. I'm going to head it off the mist. So. Well, good morning. We are uh, thrilled and, uh, Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having us, and we. I look forward to to talking to you um, afterwards. I'll be by the table, and I've got prayer cards and and uh, there to answer questions. Uh, but uh, it's it's a wonderful day to be here. I'm excited about your missions convention. Uh, we are are from a, our home church. Before we went into missions, we were we were we're today to this day very grateful because our pastor uh, missions was was a priority to our pastor. And let me just say, this is a freebie. I'm not I'm not going to charge you for this one. But Brian, as Brian said, we speak at a lot of churches all over the country. Big, small, doesn't matter. We've, we've been to them, okay? And the churches where missions and outreach is a priority are the healthy churches. When, when you prioritize the things that God prioritizes, he takes care of the rest. Okay, and I'm not saying that as a missionary. I'm just saying this is an observation that we've made. And so uh, we're, we're excited about your missions convention, what God is going to do, um, not just through your, your, your giving and your heart for missions, but what he, how he's going to bless as a result of that. So we have, um, we have four kids. We have Sam, Livy, Audrey, and Will Thomas. Uh, the two oldest are married, and um, our oldest, Sam, and his wife live in Springfield, Missouri. The next one, Livy, and her husband live in Oklahoma City. And then uh, the next one is uh, at University at Missouri State. So she lives in the dorms, but she's home a lot. 
And then Will Thomas is in his senior year of high school. So he's about to graduate and will um, go to Missouri State as well, it's looking like. And uh, when, when, when we went to Wales, they were between the ages of like 6 and 13, and now they're 17 to 26. So they've spent, you know, a good portion of their growing up years in Wales. We love it. Um, Wales is a country where there's more sheep than people, um, which is an interesting little fact. Well, we, before we went to missions, uh, we started out, out of, out of college, we were just working jobs. Brian's background was in radio, and uh, mine was music education, and we were just working jobs, and, and um, God started to kind of just talk to us about maybe uh, he had uh, full-time missions in mind for us, but we had no idea what that meant, so... One day, a lady named Shirley um, in our church walked up to us. She was the Sunday school superintendent, and she said, hey, I have no one to teach fifth grade Sunday school. And, you know, we did not feel like fifth grade Sunday school was our life calling, but we thought, well, we're capable. We can do that. We can buy some donuts and, uh, and bring a Bible, and we'll, we'll teach the Word of God. So we did that. And then there was a, a, a need with music, and so we said, well, sure, we can do that. And then there was another need, and we said, well, sure, we can do that. And a lot of our story from radio and, and um, just working secular jobs um, till now was simply just there was a need, and we said, yeah, we can do that. And another need, and, and yeah, we can do that. And, and that's often how God leads. And so he, uh, he led us into, how many, how many of you heard of Chi Alpha? Chi Alpha, if you're not familiar with it, is our, the Assemblies of God outreach to our universities. So we were Chi Alpha directors at Kansas State University for 10 years, and even that, I won't go into that story, but that was kind of a, we actually said no to it three times, and then we walked into a, a group of students, they were meeting at a house, and God just, we knew this is what God for had, had for us. So we got to hang out with students for a living for 10 years, loved it so much. Thought we would be doing that forever. Well, about seven years into that, something happened. We took our students to a missions, a missions conference called the um, World Missions Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was, I forget what year it was, but there was about four, five, 6,000 students from all over the country. And our Assemblies of God missionaries flew back to kind of host this thing, and they would present the missions, the need for missions, and what that looks like all around the world in all the different regions through a, a different, several different ways. They had like services in the evening that were really, really powerful. But in the afternoons, they had these big ballrooms in this convention center, and the missionaries came, and they, they sort of set these ballrooms up to, to look and sound and feel like those areas of the world. So there was the Africa experience, there was the Eurasia, experience. There was a Europe experience. There's all these experiences. And um, our youngest was just a little guy at the time, and I needed to run back to the room and take care of him. And so we were going to go through his experiences, but I said, Brian, let's just, we'll just go through them separately. I'll take care of Will, and then we'll meet back up later. So I had gone through a few rooms, and then I was going to go through the Europe room, and, and uh, I'm pushing the stroller, and the entrance to the room was kind of like a long hallway, and then it sort of turn open to the side, kind of like if, if this were the room over by that door. So I couldn't see the room, and I'm just walking and not, not praying, not having any kind of spiritual moment, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just fell, and it was, uh, it's hard to describe, it was just this, this sort of overwhelming 
burden thing for Europe. And I started to just burst out in tears in the middle of the hallway. And then I'm thinking, what am I crazy? What in the world is happening? And so I, I pulled myself together, went into the experience room, listened to the presentation. I don't remember much of that. Met up with Brian later, and I said, I said, hey, did you go through the Europe room? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what did you think? And uh, he said, well, it was, it was fine. He said, but the weirdest thing happened to me in the middle of the hallway on the way in. So we compared notes, and sure enough, God had done the exact same thing to him, but separately. So we thought, wow, that... That was, that was weird. <laughs> what does that mean? And so we just kind of determined that God would have us pray for Europe. And uh, so that's what we did. We just thought, okay, we'll pray for Europe. So the next, that was in January. The next August was our next school year at Kansas State University. And so a whole new batch of students. Well, our, we had a freshman who had just gotten saved, and he was so excited about God. And he would go, he'd bake cookies and go up and down the halls and, and invite people to Chi Alpha to our weekly meeting. And so let me just say, never underestimate the power of an invitation. And there's a difference between just inviting someone and bringing someone. I challenge you to, to bring people to, to church because you just never know the impact that you're going to have. Well, our guy, John, um, was roommates with a guy from London. And he knew a girl that was also from just north of London. They were both exchange students to Kansas State for one year. He would bring both of them to Chi Alpha. She was an atheist, but she would sit in the service in Chi Alpha during the worship service with tears streaming down her face. Eventually, she gave her heart to the Lord. Uh, We began to disciple her. She was baptized. And then when her year at Kansas State was just about to close, we thought, okay, we need to help her get hooked into a church back in her university town like as quickly as possible so the discipleship is, is kind of a seamless. And so we're online. We're trying to find a church that would be, you know, looks like a good one, looks like they're, you know, preaching the Bible and, and that, that she would feel comfortable in. And, and we've actually found it really difficult because the trains where she was don't run on, not all of them run on Sundays. And so it was hard and she didn't drive, so it's hard to get to the right place. So this whole process with, with her kind of changed our focus from just pray for Europe to, hmm, here we have a young person in Britain that wants to get involved in a church and she's having a real struggle. Hmm. So then fast forward the next year and a half, you know, when God is, is speaking something to you and either he just wants to keep reiterating it so that when the time comes, you're ready or maybe you're just not getting it. <laughs> maybe you're just not listening. I don't know. But anyway, for the next year and a half, uh, the UK was just just everywhere. We would open a book. It was something about the UK a magazine, turn on the radio, a, a special service that we'd go to. Somebody was talking about the UK. It was just like everywhere and uh, obviously everywhere. And so, and we knew this. And so we, we began to say, okay, well, maybe God is calling us to go to, to Britain as missionaries. But we knew that the Assemblies of God U.S. Didn't, wasn't sending missionaries to Britain at the time. We had not received the invitation from the Assemblies of God Great Britain. So they weren't sending, and we knew that. And so we thought, well, why would God be speaking, to the, speaking this to us so clearly and so loudly for so long 
if it's not a possibility. And so anyway, I was, I was vacuuming the house one day and something else had just come up with the UK and I just kind of had it. I called the Assemblies of God headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, and I got on the phone and I said, hey, I need to speak to who is ever in charge of Northern Europe. I didn't know who that was. And they said, oh, that's Tim so-and-so. Um, he's, he lives in the Netherlands. Oh, oh, man. And then they said, oh, but he's in the country right now. Oh, and wait, I think he's in the building right now. And so uh, they, they got Tim on the phone. And I said, Tim, this is who we are. This is what we feel like. God has been speaking to us for some time through a lot of different ways, but we understand that this isn't a possibility, that we're not sending missionaries to the UK. And I said, at this point, I just need to hear you say it. I need to know so we can go focus, go back to what we're doing. And there was silence on the phone, which is always a bit suspicious. And he said, well, Missy, you're right. We have not had the invitation from the British Assemblies of God until last week, just a few days ago. And he said, we had decided as a leadership team when the invitation came in that we weren't going to announce it or tell anyone because we didn't want people signing up for the wrong reasons. Sometimes Americans have a romanticism with Britain or it's English speaking. So it's the idea is, oh, it's easier than having to learn a language. But culturally, it's just as different and just as difficult as if you were going to anywhere else in the world. And so he said, we decided we weren't going to tell anyone. We were just going to pray that God would have the right people call us. And here you are calling me today. And so my jaw was on the floor. I wrapped up that phone call, called Brian. I said, you're never going to guess what just happened. Like then it got real, real fast. Well, six months later, Tim was back in the country, and we met with him at actually the next World Mission Summit, which was three years later, and um, he, he, he said, this is, this is what the need is in Britain. He said, the churches are closing left and right. Um, the average church size is 19 people. The average age is 65 um, there's a massive shortage of pastors. It is, n- it is not uncommon for a church to, ha- to not have a pastor for years. Um, and so they, they finally reached out for help. And so at uh, an Irish restaurant of all places, we sat there and um, he said, well, what do you think? And all those three years of God speaking to us, one thing after another, one thing after another, we just knew, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. And so um, we said yes. We drove home the next day. I'm not going to lie. The next morning we woke up and we thought, what in the world did we just do? <laughs> but we knew. We knew that was, that's what God had called it to do. So he had made it clear. So we went home and we started resigning um, from the, the other things that we were doing um, uh, in, the, in the Kansas district at that time. And then we moved with our four kids, sold our house, moved, moved with our four kids to Wales in 2011 as church planters. We planted a church in Cardiff, which is the capital. It's in the southeast corner of Wales, um, next next to England. And we planted Capital City Church. And um, our model is is that we plant a church and then we raise up Welsh people to have to pass that church on to. We, our goal is not to pastor a church forever, but to plant it, pass it off, plant it, pass it off. And so um, that's Capital City Church. They're doing wonderfully. They're do They're growing. They're a, um, a young, vibrant church, and have a, a, an amazing heart for the community. And then God called us um, surprisingly to a little village just about 15 miles north of there, 
and, called Bedwis. And I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to pass it off to Brian. But our story um, is, is, in a nutshell, God's faithfulness. And when we just say, okay, yeah, we can do that and listen to him and seek him. Our, our, our favorite verse is Matthew 6, Seek him first and he will take care of the rest. Seek God, seek God, seek God. So um, I just want to challenge you. If you're unsure, like, what is, what is God speaking to me? What is, what is God's plan for my life? Should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know what to do, God. This is happening. Seek God. Don't worry about the problem. All will be revealed. Seek God, seek God, seek God. So I'm going to pass it off to Brian, and he's going to just share um, kind of the next part of our story that... Um, God sort of knocked us out of left field and, and sort of did something in, in our lives that we didn't expect, but it's sort of taken on the, the major part of our ministry now. So thank you for letting us come. I look forward to talking to you after. <clears throat> I just want to warn you, because you said you were going to maybe do some new things. You kind of hinted a little bit, and you talked about more to come at the business meeting. I just want to warn you. When you step out to do something for God, it could redefine who you are as a church. Because that's what happened to us. I want to share a little bit about that. As Misty uh, shared with you, we went to Cardiff, Wales as church planters. We started a church there. Mostly young people, students, young professionals. Um, well, our, our mode is to... Uh, start something and then hand it off to local people. And so we did that. It was time for us to move on. We still had held a, a somewhat of a leadership position there. But at the same time, we were asked to maybe look at this church up in the valleys a little bit, uh, a village not far from where we were. They were struggling. They didn't have a pastor. Bedwis Pentecostal Church was the name of it, except the sign was missing some letters. So it said Bedwis Pentecostal Hurch. Who here thinks it's about time we changed maybe the church sign and, if possible, the name of the church? We changed the name of the church to Hope Church. It's going great. I'm here to tell you, if you come and visit us in Wales, um, you know, we, we're moving on to two services. We started with about 12 people, and now things are going wonderfully. And that's great. I mean, God has called us there to be church planters, but something happened along the way. You ever start out doing something for the Lord, and, and something happens along the way that kind of you think is, is a change of plan, but it really was God's plan all along. I want to share something that we, that we did, a ministry that we started, that we stepped out in faith because we saw a need. When, um, when we were still with Capital City Church, we wanted to figure out some way that we could reach the community. When you're leading a church, all churches need to do three things, okay? I don't care what your vision statement is, what your mission statement is. Every church wants to do three things. You want to see lost people saved. You want to see saved people discipled, and you want to see your community changed for Jesus. That's it. I mean, there's various ways to accomplish that, but that's in general what most churches want to do. And it was that third thing that we were wanting to, like, how can we change our community? How can we bless our community? What's something new that's not being done? What's an area that's not being reached? And I remembered back to our time in Kansas at our church. They did this thing called Royal Family Kids Camp. I don't know if any of you ever have heard of that. But if you haven't, Royal Family Kids Camp is a five-day summer camp for children who are in foster care. These are kids who have, have seen un, unheard of abuse and neglect, 
um, and family trauma. They've been removed from their homes. They've been put in the homes of strangers, healthy homes mostly, but still it's a strange home to them. And their whole world has been turned upside down. The idea of these camps is to bring them in around, of, of surround them with volunteers who have been specially trained, who aren't paid. You know, that's a big thing. If you think about it, a foster kid, they're, they're surrounded by people who are paid to be with them. Well, not at camp. These are all people that we tell them we want to be with them. We want, we want to show them a good time, but they're also uh, taught about the Bible. They're taught about Jesus, about the God who created them and has a plan for their lives. They're taught songs and uh, amazing stories come about from this Royal Family Kids Camp. And we thought, well, hey, that was a great thing. As a pastor, I would like to, I, some, sometimes I wish my story would begin with, well, we met the little Billy and he was a foster child and he changed our lives. And that's not how it happened. You see, sometimes we pastors have selfish not, not selfish in a bad way, but for our church. You know, it's like, yeah, I want to do this to reach the community. But if we did this, it would really change our people in our church, you know. And that was kind of, as a pastor, I wanted to see that. I thought, man, we can't go wrong with helping orphans. That's part of God's heart. But I've, I've seen what it can do to a church and how it will change the trajectory of a church. So I thought, well, maybe we'll give this a go. Okay. Well, let me just explain something. In Europe, it's not common for churches to partner with the state to help with social issues, all right? I didn't know that. I'm just some American who thinks, well, we can do anything, you know, because I'm an American and I've got God on my side and, you know, glory, glory, hallelujah, and we can just get this done. Well, I did not understand. I underestimated the challenge set before us. I want to pause there for a second. There's a verse that I like to refer to when I'm telling this story. And it's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. It starts in 1 Samuel 13 and it goes into 14. And uh, 1 Samuel 14, I want to read a passage out of there. But you may have heard this story. There's a guy that you've heard of many times. His name is David. Okay, David was called to be the next king of Israel. Saul was still on the throne. And David was this guy of, of great faith. And you heard about David and Goliath. You know, all that great story. Well, and then there's a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan is like the best friend of, of David. And I, I think I know why. Because Jonathan, like David, was a man of great faith. He took risks for God. We read in 1 Samuel 13 that once again, the army of Israel was facing off with the army of the Philistines. And they were kind of like, I don't know what it was, like a, a big valley between them. And the Philistines were over there and Israel was over here. And Saul was, was equivocating. He wasn't sure how to win this battle. And uh, see, they were, out, they were outmanned, but they were also outdone technologically speaking. Now, normally when you and I think of technology, we think of computers and chips and things like that. Back then, technology was who had iron, who had metal. And that was all in the Philistines. Because we read in 1 Corinthians, I keep saying 1 Corinthians, 1 Samuel 13, there were no blacksmiths in Israel. All the blacksmiths were, were, were held by the Philistines. And so there were no metal or iron uh, weaponry in Israel with the exception of Saul and his son Jonathan. Everyone else was going to battle with stones and sticks and farm equipment and things like that. That's how you fought battles back then. So they were at a stalemate. Israel didn't know how to fight. And Jonathan, because he's this guy that thinks that maybe, maybe I don't know, we're supposed to be the army of the Lord. So we read in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, it says, Then Jonathan, Jonathan snuck around to kind of get a look of the, the enemy army. 
And it says, then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. He says, hey, let's try something. Let's go attack these guys. And if you're like me, you're thinking that you're crazy, okay? You may have the only steel sword in the land, but they have hundreds and thousands of steel swords. And then he says these words, perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Did you catch that? Maybe God will do something on our behalf because God is all powerful and it doesn't matter to him how many is on our side and how many is on their side. If God wants to accomplish something, he's going to do it. Well, keep that in mind because that's kind of where our story goes at the moment in Wales. We were faced with a, a, a daunting task. God had put it on our hearts to do this ministry to foster children And we had no means to do it. We kind of assessed our resources. Number one, we didn't have any connections with children in foster care. If you're going to do a summer camp for foster kids, you need foster kids to go to your summer camp. We didn't have any relationship whatsoever. Strike one. Next thing you need is you need volunteers. In order to do a camp with 25 kids, we needed 40 volunteers. Friends, we didn't have 40 people in our little church plant. Strike two. The third thing you need, it's the obvious one, you need, you need funds. We needed more money to do five days of this camp than we had in our annual general fund of our church. We had no money. Strike three. We sat in our leadership team at our little church plant, young people sitting around us at our kitchen table, and they, they said these words, true story. They said, Brian and Misty, we love, we love your idea. We think your vision is too big for us. Wow. And all kinds of things go through your mind, Pastor. If someone would have said that to you, I mean, you're probably thinking, well, well yeah, probably it is. I, you know. But then you kind of get this righteous indignation. It's like, well, God can do something. God can do something. But your, your, your reputation's on the line. All this stuff. You're, you're, you're trying to lead this church. I saw a quote on, on Facebook, and I put it on, on, my, on my page. And um, it kind of speaks to this, where we were with this situation. Um, you know this idea of, well, if you got faith, there is no fear. I'm here to tell you, I, I don't think that's necessarily true in all cases. Because true faith is not a lack of fear. In fact, let me just read this. This is Elizabeth Elliot, no relation, I don't think. But you know who Jim and Elizabeth Elliot were, the missionaries in the 1950s. Jim lost his life along with his, his comrades um, in the mission field. But... Um, Elizabeth, his wife, says this. Sometimes fear does not subside, and one must choose to do it afraid. Let me read that again. Sometimes fear does not subside, and one must choose to do it afraid. You see, faith is not not having fear. Faith is moving in the face of fear when you are trusting God's promises. That's kind of where we were. We thought, oh, no, here we go. Because we made a promise not only to our church, but to ourselves. We didn't tell our church this. We said, we're not going to do what we missionaries are. Well, let me, let me back up. As an Assemblies of God missionary, we have the honor, the privilege, the power of calling back home to our network of churches that support us and say, hey, we have a special project and we need $10,000. Can you help us out with this? And with a few phone calls, we can probably raise some money to help out with that. But you see, there was an issue with our church. The issue was a lack of faith. 
Our church did not believe that it could happen. And so Misty and I committed to ourselves, we're not going to call any of our network. We're going we're to ask them to pray, but we're not going to ask them for money. Because our church needs to see God move on their behalf. So we move forward. I could tell you stories of miracles. We don't have all morning to do that, of God providing, and he did. But all I can say is in 2000, this was in 2014 when we started this journey to, about the camp. In 2016, we had our first camp. We had 23 kids. We had 47 volunteers. And when we paid all of our bills, we had money left in the bank, and we didn't have to touch our annual church budget. God provided everything. And we had, just like I had, I, had, I had hoped for, we had a church full of energized people who were on fire about, about uh, marginalized children and about families who were fostering and adopting. And we have continued that. We started at Royal Family Kids Camp. We called it RFK in 2016. We did it again in 2017. 2018, we grew to 50 kids, 75 volunteers, and a waiting list from social services. This was the church. This was social services coming to the local church saying, can you help us with this situation? And our church knew we were on to something, that God was wanting us to do something greater. But the problem was we didn't have room for any more kids. If we wanted to reach more kids, we needed to expand to more locations. Royal Family Kids Camp in the United States, there's over 200 of them. And each one of them is led locally by a local church reaching kids in their local vicinities. So we thought we could do that. See, once again, we get this idea, this audacious idea that maybe we can do this. We can do this too. We can replicate what we've done across England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. And in 2018, we launched the Starfish Alliance. You see, we had to change the name of the camp. Because it's, in the UK, it's hard to raise money to send the royal family kids to summer camp, okay? Because there are really royal family kids over there. It means something different. So we changed the name to Starfish Kids. You know that story of the, the little boy, there's all these starfish washed up on the beach, and he's throwing them back, and an old man comes up to him and says, what are you doing? There's so many of them, you're never going to make a difference to them. And he picks up one, and he said, throws it in, and he says, well, it made a difference to that one. And that's the idea. We want to make a difference to these kids. And so um, we, we uh, have our, had our first director's training lined up um, to train uh, directors for new camps. We had some churches that were coming to check us out. And then COVID hit. And then we were on pause for a little bit. I'm happy to say last year we had our first post-COVID camp. And, and we had 40 campers and 60 volunteers. And we had three churches come that wanted to do camps at their church. And I'm happy to say we have the second camp uh, spinning up next year. They're coming to director's training this year. We have a, a, a church in Belgium that came to visit and volunteer at our camp. They want to do a camp like ours at their church. And we have other places in England and Scotland and Wales. And you know what? Friends, we never intended to go to Wales and do anything with children's ministry aside from we planted churches and those churches do children's ministry. I am not a children's ministry guy. But God called us over there to plant churches to start something that he wanted to multiply. And that's what he's doing. So when we go back, this is what I'm getting to. When we go back, we will continue leadership of the local church because we're getting ready to to pass that off to our local leadership team. So we'll do that. But we're going to uh, work almost exclusively to expand the work of Starfish Kids Camps. Because here's the deal. 
If we, the church, can have an impact on a child, number one, mo- almost all of these kids have never held a Bible. They've never been in a church. The, the, the church situation in Europe is astoundingly bad. But they come to a place. Remember, they've been, they've been abused. They've been neglected. We had one little girl that was one, known as one of the worst cases of neglect in Cardiff County. And she gets on the bus to about an hour and a half ride to the campground. And she gets off the bus. Here now, she's only been on the bus. And as she gets off, she looks through the volunteer that's with her. And she says, with tears in her eyes, she goes, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. She's just been on a bus. We haven't even started camp yet. Well, here's what happens at camp. They come and they're, they're well fed. I, last year, I, I, I rarely tell this story, but last year I led the kitchen. I, I don't do anything up front. I usually do things in the background. And I, I led the kitchen crew and we cooked for 100 people. And the first meal, we set out, it was a lunch, and we put out sandwiches and, and, and things. And um, I, I never saw a bunch of kids grab so many sandwiches. They thought they weren't going to have seconds. They, didn't, they weren't sure if they were going to be able to eat dinner that night. They, I didn't have any sandwiches left after the first crew went up there. So the next, next meal, I had to say, there's plenty of food. Everyone will get food. So just get what you need right now. We'll make sure you get more if you want it. I mean, these are, these are challenging kids. From cha- they have seen horrible things. But they come to camp. And we, we treat them to a good time. It's always fun at camp. We have, we have water sports. We have crafts. We have all of that stuff. We also, um, have for two times a day, we have a, a large group gathering where they, they learn to sing songs of faith. We teach them about uh, stories from the Bible. This year, it's Journeys with Joseph. Joseph, hello, a young man who was taken from his family and God used in spite of his circumstances. They're going to learn from that. We teach them, uh, we, we, we surround them with people who show them that they can be loved and, and, and touched appropriately. You know, we have Camp Grandma and Grandpa, we have cousins. Um, I, I, just, I wish I could tell you all the things that happen. We do special memories for children in these circumstances. If you think about it, how many here can go back to your house and look on a bookshelf somewhere and there is a photo album with photos from when you were a kid and you had photos from that, 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 that family reunion where Uncle Charlie, you know, uh, kind of had too much to drink and he, you know, we always have memories like that, right? These kids don't have those things because one, they're taken away from their home. The home that they were born into didn't care enough to take memories to take photos, and the home they're into doesn't know them well enough, and they might not be in that home for very long. Some kids will be in four or five or six homes in a year's time. So at our camp, we have a professional photographer that's there all week long taking pictures of every child, and at the end of camp, they're sent home with a memory book of memories of them having fun at camp. I've talked to, to foster carers and adoptive parents. Just last year, one lady said, you know what? We adopted two boys. They started as our foster kids. We sent them to camp, and they're in their mid-20s, and they still have their, their memory books from camp that they cherish and they look to. We have a birthday party for every child at camp because sometimes people don't remember your birthday when you just moved into their house a week ago, and you're going to be shuffled to another house next week let alone have you had a, a birthday party before. So Thursday night of every camp, we have a big birthday party for all the kids. And these kids get presents and, and, and cake and pizza, all kinds of fun stuff. But then they also get a MP3 player 
that's loaded with all the songs that they learned, all the Bible stories that they've heard, all the lessons that they've, they've sat through, and they can take these home and listen to them. And let me tell you a story about these MP3 players. My first year at camp, one of the things I had to do was we, we have an overnight team that stays up all night long because the kids, adults cannot be in the kids' rooms. But we have a boys' wing and a girls' wing, and there's like a room with four bunks, several of these rooms, so four boys to a room, four boys, and then on this wing, four girls, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't put adults in those rooms, but we want to make sure that the kids are going to, to sleep properly and aren't harassing the other kids. So we have a team that stays up all night long, one team from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., and then another team comes in from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., and they stay up all night, and they kind of patrol the halls and just make sure that things are, are all right. That was my job the first night of camp, of our first camp. And it's nighttime. It's about 10 o'clock, 10.30, going on to 11, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing something coming from one of the rooms, and I thought, well, I better go check this out. We keep the, the doors open, so I go over here, and I lean in. The door's kind of open, and I hear a little boy about eight years old talking in his sleep. And he's, he's saying things like, please, please stop touching me that way. That hurts. I mean, he's talking about his abuse in his sleep. I could imagine what he's seen in his little life. Well, fast forward to the Thursday night of the camp that year. They had their birthday party. They all got their MP3 players. Everyone's going to bed. And in spite of the fact that we gave them sugar and birthday cake, they're all so whooped by the end of the evening that they're, they're out but I hear a sound coming from this same little boy's room. I thought, oh no, what is he talking about? So I walk over and I lean my, my head towards his room and I hear him, but he's not, he's not talking in his sleep. He's got his earbuds in and he's singing along with the words of a song that he was taught that week, singing, I am not forgotten, I am not forgotten, I am not forgotten, God knows my name. One day he's talking about his abuse in his sleep. Two nights later he's singing about the God who has not forgotten his name and has a plan for his life. We don't, we don't believe we're going to fix every problem, but we do know that we can help change the trajectory just a little bit. If they come to camp and if they're still of age between 6 and 12, they can return to camp every year. But every time they come to camp and they learn more and more about God, if they go on into their lives, perhaps, perhaps, we're not going to fix everything, but perhaps they can remember what they learned at camp and it might give them enough to break the cycles of abuse in their family. It might give them enough to keep them out of prison or homelessness or drug addiction that so many foster kids are prone to. And for Friends, this is the ministry that God has called us to. It is the local church reaching the needs of the local community. And with your help, we're going to go back and expand it across the UK, across Europe, and anywhere that God will open doors for us. Um, I'll just share just briefly, and then I have a video I want to show you of our camp, and then I'll have pass it off to you. Um, we spent the last, normally a term is four years. We were there for six years. We had to stay an extra year for visa reasons. And then we had to stay an extra year on top of that because of COVID. And so we're two years overdue coming home. And of course they raised our budget. And so we, we're just praying that God moves upon the hearts of churches and individuals to help us go back to equip more churches to do this work for foster kids 
in Europe. And we would ask that you continue to pray for us and stand with us as we do that. I want to show you a video because I want, to, I want you to see what camp is like. This is just a general video. It, 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 it's just, it kind of shows you what we do at camp. Um, it's got lots of British accents, which is always kind of cool. Not as cool as your Boston accent, I must say, you know. Um, in fact, every time I pass a Dunkin' Donuts, I say it in my head in a Boston accent. I, I don't know why, but, but anyway, it's got lots of British accents, and our vol- these are our volunteers and our kids. The kids' faces have been blurred out, but I hope you enjoy it. If you go ahead and play that video, and then you can come up after the video. By far the main reason that we're here is kids. They're kids who come from really difficult backgrounds. They've got lots of social issues in the background and actually have had quite generally quite a rough start to life. And actually this camp is amazing that it gives exactly those children an amazing opportunity to come and just be loved and do really fun stuff. They're in a place where every single adult here is 100% for them. If they're sad there's someone to comfort them if they're laughing there's someone to laugh with them the amazing thing about starfish camp is that it offers so much that every child can achieve something so it opens up a huge new world for them a variety of things and skills that maybe they wouldn't necessarily have achieved at home All of the activities on camp seem to just bring the best out of children, from finding out new talents that they didn't even know they had, to pushing their physical and mental boundaries. It really kind of brings out the very, very best in these kids. Creating an environment where you praise kids and and, and use positive words of, of affirmation to build them up Regardless of their backgrounds, all kids can benefit from that. And you can see the kids as they respond to all of this uh, positive environment. It has a a, a tremendous uh, effect on them. I guess for all of us, our childhoods are really important. They're our formative years. And actually, it's really important developing good relationships. It's really important for kids to have a really good time um, and to be able to learn lots of social skills, interacting with other children, interacting with adults, um, and also being just shown that they're loved and that there are opportunities in the world. We know that it's having an effect because we've seen it over four years and we've seen children leave us to go on into high school much stronger and much more resilient and much happier than when they first came to see us. I'm not completely sure of the numbers, but I know that the first camp uh, several years ago was, was only a handful of kids. And the second year it grew, and the third year we had to move to a different premises because we outgrew our first, uh, first premises. And, and this year again, we've, we, we've grown again. So I'm very confident that as time goes by, uh, carers, social workers become very aware of the impact that this camp has on the lives of, of children. And a camp grows and more and more kids are, are being influenced and, and that's wonderful. But we will never be able to, to reach great numbers of kids with just one camp. These camps need to go further afield. They need to go out into 
England and to Scotland so that children there can have the same opportunity to grow and develop and, and to have some of the, the damage undone in a small way, some healing for their, their hurts that have been in their lives. If we can see it growing, if we can see people getting involved, um, the number of kids then that we can reach is just endless. I just think it makes such a difference to them and their lives. We can't help every single child in the UK or in Europe, but we can make a difference to a good number of them. Amen, amen. Our children are most important asset to our future. I remember a story or a quote that I've never forgotten. Children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them imprints them for the rest of their life. I put a little PS onto that little thing and it goes like this. Therefore, leave godly impressions. And I think one of the things that you know that comes from me because I love kids. Uh, I could, if I had a kid tomorrow, I would not be disappointed. Angie back there saying, are you sure, Pastor? Yeah. We look back now, we have, of course, we have four boys, and most of you know that, and they're all involved in serving the Lord and ministry and stuff. But I will tell you, though, it, it goes by so fast. But if you're a grandmom, grandpa, uh, you're a man, woman, it doesn't make a difference. Everybody can do something for somebody. And, you know, you can come along them and help them and teach them, not critique them, but lift them higher. Come alongside them. You never know the story in the shoes they walk in. Let me just, in, in closing, let me just share this with you here. I was just thinking, and um, in Matthew chapter 19, it says, Then the people brought the little children to Jesus, to him, and he placed his hands on them, and he prayed for them. And the disciples kind of so got to do this and got to do this. They kind of took a little bit of authority, and they prevented the kids from coming to Jesus because they thought they were doing the right thing. But Jesus rebuked them. He says, do not, let, uh, do not forbid the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for such as those are the kingdom of heaven, to the least of these. And I just want to challenge you, and I, I really, I know a little bit about this camps, and my sons in his church has been involved in it and stuff, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful ministry. And, but look, if you, even if you had kids, no kids, you, you can always impact. We're children of God, Amen. God sees us as children. And when you're sleeping, God looks at you and goes, ah, just like you see a little baby, ah. I was with my, one of my grandsons the other day, and when he's sleeping, you, you just go, ah. I took him to the first boat show. And so he's Captain Elliot. That's his name, Elliot. And, um, and uh, uh, Elliot has a great strong name if you look at it. Do you know what Elliot means? Elliot means uh, uh, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my God. And, uh, and so we're going to take an offering um, for our beloved missionaries. And um, I want you to first see what does God want you to do? Just remember I talked about numbers. I did that back then to help you, to kind of give you some thought. The key is pray. Are you generous with what God gives you? And here's my point. Do you expect more from God than what you're willing to give? Think about that. We are so much, and I've been pastoring for a few years now. 
can't believe how many, but sometimes we're always quick to say what someone doesn't do for you, but I always reverse it and say, what have we done for God? Let's get the, let's get the re- realities right. So just close your eyes for a moment before we do anything. And those online, if you're willing to want to do something for the ministry that ministers to kids and what God's doing with these missionaries, you're going to have the information at the end that you can just write it there and just put it in the memo, and we will be sure to get it right where it needs to be. So we're going to pray right now and ask God to speak to your heart because... Uh, God wants us to really um, live and give to make a difference. Father, we ask right now, will you speak to our hearts? And Lord, what would you have us do for this week, for these missionaries that are taking care of children that you said, these are the ones that were shaped for the kingdom of heaven. God, the least of these, God, we are all children of the least of these. And I just pray, Lord, speak to each heart. And as you do, we know you will be blessed, our missionaries will be blessed, and the kingdom of God will be touched and grown to the capacity that you are working. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. The lady's going to come down here, and while that's taking place, I want to just uh, um, ask, remind you guys to continue to keep, just go ahead and start the offering. And, um, and as they do that, um, I want you to just continue to um, pray for what, what you're going to be doing for missions, for your faith promise. Uh, pray for the other missionaries. And like I said before, invite others to come so that God can do a difference and make a difference in you and through you and around you. And so while they continue to give, um, why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to uh, send our missionaries out to the table that you can get a chance to talk with them. Um, and share with them, and so I'll let them go right now. Uh, have any questions for them, just go ahead and um, ask them, get a know uh, what it's like, um, that type of thing, because it's really important that we're living here to make a difference there. I'm so glad you're in the house of the Lord. Can we give the Lord just a little bit more praise? It's just saying thank you for who he is. We're blessed by the best, so now go out and tell the rest how they too may be blessed. Let me put a blessing upon you. Uh, We are so grateful, Father, for this day, and we're so grateful for the ministry that's taken place to um, the children. And help us, Lord, help us, Lord, to truly care and share your message with all that come into our lives so they may know your peace, your hope, your love. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.